2. Last week we kind of dealt with the, some of the beginning of chapter uh, of 2 of Luke, and this week we're going to deal with some of the middle part of Luke 2. So Luke 2, verses 25 through 35, and, and the, the title of our message this morning is The Promise of Christmas. And I looked um, <clears throat> on my, in my computer, and I have a list of everything I've preached since I've been here, and when I last did that, or when I did it, and it's been over five years since I preached from this passage. And it's actually, may, it, 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 not maybe, it is my favorite passage surrounding the, the early days of Jesus and Christmas and all that. This is my favorite passage. I can't believe it's been five years. Greg, remind me to preach this next year again, too. All right. Um, <clears throat> so, but uh, it's just a wonderful passage. And just uh, my prayer is that if even you're here five years ago and you remember it, you'll be encouraged and blessed. And if you weren't here, you'll be blessed uh, with what the Lord has to teach us through uh, his word this morning. So let me uh, read uh, the, um, these verses. And the title of the message this morning is The Promise of Christmas. Beginning in verse 25, we'll read down through verse 35. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord... You are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul at the end that to the end that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Lord, we trust you to help us uh, not only understand this word, but to be transformed by your word this morning. Amen. What do you think of when you think about promises? When you hear the word promise, or you think about maybe different promises that you've heard, what comes to your mind when you think about promises? Um, many of you maybe remember uh, back in the days a guy named Joe Namath, uh, he was a quarterback for the uh, New York Jets, and he made a bold promise. They will win the Super Bowl. Um, and many other people have made bold promises that have not come true, or bold promises that didn't come true whether they, because they didn't keep them or they just things that prevented them from happening. Well, think about this when you think, I want you to consider this when you think about promise. Booker T. Washington, uh, he describes a meeting that he had with an ex-slave from Virginia in a book called Up From Slavery. And here's what... Booker T. Washington writes, I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the Emancipation Proclamation, which, if you haven't had that in history yet, all right, that basically freed the slaves. All right, for those of us may be reminded of that as well, but the Emancipation Proclamation, to the effect that the slave was to be permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body, and while he was paying for himself, he was permitted to labor where and, and for whom he pleased. Finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master some $300. 
Notwithstanding, the Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his master. This man walked the greater portion of the distance back to where his old master lived in Virginia and placed the last dollar with interest in his hands. In talking to me about this, the man told me that he knew that he did not have to pay his debt, but that he had given his word to his master, and his word he had never broken. Wow. What, what a wonderful story of a man who was faithful to keep his promise. And, and sad to say that often in our world today, people don't keep their promises, do they? They don't, they don't as it says in, in the Psalms, they don't swear to their own hurt. They don't do whatever it takes to, to fulfill their promise. And maybe even if they want to fulfill their promise because of different circumstances, they're unable to fulfill their promise that they made. They, they can't keep it no matter if they wanted to keep it or not. Well, not keeping your promise because you don't want to or because it's going to be difficult, that should never be the case with Christians. Those of us who have received the greatest promise of all, the promise of Jesus Christ, who came to die in our place that we might be made right with God. You see, thankfully, God is not like oftentimes we are. He always keeps his promises. And the great thing about God, nothing will ever prevent him from keeping his promise. Now, sometimes we have the right heart and we want to keep our promises. But something prevents us from keeping it. But never with God. He always keeps his promise because he desires to do so and because he has the power to do so. Aren't you guys glad that God kept his promise of Christmas? I am. We have no hope without that. So we're going to look here at these these verses in Luke 2 and, uh, and look at three... Uh, challenging truths concerning the promise of Christmas this morning. I'll just give the three main ones up front for you, and if you're taking notes, you'll have them already. Uh, First, we're going to look at the expectation of the promise of Christmas. The expectation of the promise of Christmas, then the reception of that promise of Christmas, of the promise of Christmas, and then the exposition of the promise of Christmas. All right, so expectation, the reception, the exposition of the promise of Christmas. But before we look at these, these truths, let's look at the context where we find these verses. We're jumping into chapter 2, right, of Luke. So we need to make sure we understand the context so we understand what's going on um, here in Luke 2. At the beginning of chapter 2, Jesus has been born. The angels appear to the shepherds. We saw this last week. The angels declare these great things about the shepherds. We see the, the, the shepherds respond, and they go tell everybody, uh, to everybody in their own circle, to people around them. Uh, they're excited. They go away praising God. And then in verses 22 through 24... Well, actually, verse 21, Jesus is circumcised. And then verses 22 through 24, which is 32 days later, um, after his eighth-day circumcision, uh, 40 days after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem for the purification of Mary and the presentation of Jesus. So what in the world is that about? Well, in Jewish law, after a woman gave birth, 40 days after she gave birth, she needed to go to Jerusalem for a purification rite. And so that's what Mary was doing. She was going to Jerusalem for this purification, right? And also, every firstborn child uh, in Jewish families was pre presented at the temple to the Lord. Kind of like we do apparent baby dedications. In a lot of ways, that's kind of what was going on. And that was demanded in the law. That's actually both of those. You can find one in Leviticus 12.8, the purification. Um, and they were to give a pair of turtle doves. Remember the song, two turtle doves and a part. That's where it comes from. And a partridge in a pear tree. I'll stop singing. All right. Or two pigeons. Doesn't wouldn't sound good. Two pigeons. 
It doesn't go as well. But we've got turtle doves. And that's Leviticus 12a for purification after a woman to be given birth 40 days after the birth. And then in Numbers 3.13, sure enough, to present the firstborn child of every family at the temple. So that's what's happening. That's why they're coming to Jerusalem, to do this purification and presentation. And it's, it's helpful for us to understand that context. Why in the world are they coming here? Well, on the surface, that's why they're coming here. They want to obey the Lord. But there's something way bigger than that. And they're getting ready to discover the bigger event that God wanted them to be in Jerusalem for. So let's look here at the first truth uh, that will challenge us in concerning the promise of Christmas, the expectation of the promise of Christmas. Look there again at verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So we see that we see we learned this about Simeon. It says that he was righteous and devout. He was a godly man. He wanted to follow the Lord in all that he did. And we'll see that. You can see that that's this, this, it summarizes his life. Um, next, it says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. So what is consolation? What's the consolation of Israel? It's the comfort. That's what to console, all right? The comfort of Israel. Well, what was it that was the comfort of Israel, the consolation of Israel? What brought hope to Israel? Well, the promised Messiah. That was what was going to bring ultimate hope and fulfillment for the nation of Israel. So it says he's looking for this comfort, this consolation for the nation of Israel. And, and this promised Messiah is promised all the way throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi. It's all through there, beginning in Genesis 3.15. And all the rest of the Old Testament speaks about the promised Messiah, the comfort of Israel. And this is what brought hope, not only to Israel, but hope to Simeon. He was expecting this to happen. He was expecting it to happen soon. So Simeon's expectation uh, is is the consolation of Israel. It's the promise of Christmas. There's a promise that had been made. Oh, now, now, in order for us to better understand this expectation that he had, I want to look at, just look at two particular aspects that we see in the passage about this expectation. First, the extent of the expectation that he had. So, what I mean by extent? It's the degree of his expectation. Did he have an extreme degree of expectation? Was it kind of moderate or was it mild? Well, I think if you look at the passage, it's very clear uh, the extent of his expectation. Notice with me in verse 25, it's the word looking. Uh, one translation says waiting. It means to look or wait with expectancy. Expectancy. I, I think about the, 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 the prodigal son um, in, in, uh, in Luke 15. And it says the father was looking for him. And it seems to indicate that the father never quit looking for him to come home. And actually, this word here, uh, looking, is in the present tense. So that's exactly what was happening. He was looking. He was looking. He was looking. Simeon was looking. His looking was not just a glance. It was an expectant look that God was going to come through on his promise. The extent of his expectation then was an extreme uh, expectation. He was constantly looking, and he longed for the Lord to send the comfort of Israel. Well, God has made many promises in his word to those who are his by faith in Christ. Many promises. We don't have time to go through all those. But my question for us this morning is, what extent, or what is the extent of our expectation for the promises of God to be fulfilled? Are we like Simeon, 
who looked with expectancy that God would come through on his promise, all the time looking and looking and looking and expecting God to come through on his promises. Do our lives show that that is the, at the forefront of our mind? I've said this before, Martin Luther uh, said, we ought to live every day for that day. And he's talking about the, the ultimate coming, the second coming, the second advent of Christ, right? But we ought to live every day for that day, the day that he will fulfill his promises in our life, and ultimately that promise of the second advent. The topic of our conversations, how we spend our time, how we spend, spend our, our, our gifts, how we spend our, our money, says a lot about what our expectation is in. Are we looking for God to come through on his promises? I pray that the extent of our expectation will be extreme just like Simeon's and that God would use that as they watch our lives, as they see us looking and talking about. We, we don't talk much about the second advent of Christ anymore. Back in the 70s, I mean, that was the theme. Every song that was sung, the king is coming. Some of you all know the song. If you all are back in, the king is coming. I can hear, and, and, and you saw, everything was about the king is coming. And there was expectancy. We just don't talk about that much anymore. We ought to talk about that. People know, need to know that the king is coming again. And we need to expect him to come anytime. And when they see that in our lives, it may awaken to them, wow, there's a lot more than, than, than nowadays. There's a, a lot more than just living in the here and now. Jesus is coming. And as we'll see, you're going to either go one place or the other. And we'll see that here in the passage. But we can live the same expectancy that Simeon lived, that God will fulfill his promise. Well, the second aspect I want us to look at is the expectation of the promise is the basis of the expectation. What was Simeon basing his expectation on? I've already mentioned the promises of the Messiah throughout um, the, the Old Testament uh, from, from Genesis to, to, to Malachi, but this is not the only truth to which uh, Simeon based his expectation. Look at verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Notice that word revealed. It means to give instruction to inform somehow and i don't know how it doesn't tell us so speculating how that happened is not worth our time all right because all it is is speculation but somehow god the holy spirit instructed or informed simeon that before he died he would physically get to see the lord's christ the messiah wow what a promise notice again how this information was revealed to simeon it was revealed to him by god the holy spirit you notice how I say that? God, the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And if you want more information about that, there's a sermon on the Trinity on, the, on, the, on, our, on our website. I'm kidding. We can talk about that later. But it's God, the Holy Spirit. He's not some power or force. He's God, the third person of the Trinity. And this is equivalent, this, this, that, that he would reveal to them by God, the Holy Spirit. All right? The Holy Spirit revealed, revealed to them. It's equivalent to what the, you see in the prophets often, this phrase, the word of the Lord came to. And, and fill in the blank. Whatever prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. All right? The basis of Simeon's expectation was the word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, spoke to him, right? He revealed to him. It was the word of God to Simeon. Simeon was so extremely expectant of God to fulfill his promise because the basis of the expectation was based upon a word that came from God. And you can always bank on when God makes a promise, he'll come through. That's why he was expectant. He knew that God was trustworthy and would come through. He knew 
the truth that Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For as many are the promises of God, in him they, as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Notice it doesn't say in him they are maybe. They're yes. Whatever the promises of God are, they are yes. They will come about. Well, what is the basis of our expectation? We need to follow the example of Simeon based our expectation of God fulfilling his promises on his word. On his word. This is the only true source of which to base our expectation. The word of God, the Bible, 66 books that we have here. You may have it in an electronic form. You may have it in a paper form. But these are the 66 books that make of what we call the Bible. They're without error. They're trustworthy. And we can base our entire life on the truth that's pertained here. On the promises that come from God and from his word. Why is it without error? Because the source of this word is the same source of the word that came to Simeon, God. God the Holy Spirit. And we see that actually in Second Peter 1, 20-21. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own inter- interpretation. If, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I pray our expectations of the promises of God would be like Simeon, who believed this, who continually looked for God to fulfill the promise of Christmas, the consolation of Israel to send the Messiah, because he based upon the fact that God said so. How many times have you all heard the little cute saying, maybe it's a bumper sticker, says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. The middle phrase, it doesn't matter. God said it, that settles it. Whether we believe it or not, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't mean God can't do what he promised. There was many people in the nation of Israel that didn't believe that God would come through. And he came through. We want to be a lot more like Simeon. And we can insert, we believe it, doesn't mean it settles it, but we need to believe it. We need to believe that God will come through and expect him to. Well, there we see that the, 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 the first truth here that we see is the expectation of the promise of Christmas. The second one is the reception of the promise of Christmas we see here in our passage. How did Simeon receive the promise of Christmas? This is my favorite part. i just tell you right now, I love this part of the passage. And I could read this over and over and over again. In order for us to see the, 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 the totality of how he received this promise of Christmas, we're going to look at three different aspects of that. The first aspect of the reception of the promise of Christmas, how Simeon received this promise is it's a spirit-led reception. So how was it that Simeon happened to be in the temple at the same time Joseph and Mary were coming, bringing Jesus to be, to, to, to be dedicated, to be presented? Just luck? Circumstantial things just happened to be there? No, not at all. Look what it says in verse 27. And he, Simeon, and he came in the spirit into the temple. He came in the spirit into the temple. Simeon was being led by the Holy Spirit in order that he would meet up with Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Now, the temple was a big place. It's a very large place. And Simeon was there, was there a lot, all right? Um, and there was a lot of people that would have been there. So how in the world would he just bump, oh, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, there they are. And he happened to be there at the exact same time because he was being led by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit of God leads... He never leads your world. God promised Simeon that he would see the Messiah, and God was going to, he assured that that would happen because he led him by the Holy Spirit. Simeon was led to receive this promise of Christmas 
because God said he would, and he, and he made sure he would through the Holy Spirit. So it's a spirit-led reception. And our reception of Jesus is just like Simeon in the sense that it, is to, it too is a spirit-led reception. The Holy Spirit leads us by convicting us of sin. The Holy Spirit's involved from the beginning. He convicts us of sin, just as Jesus promised he would in John 16, 8. And he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we learn the Holy Spirit also leads us to Jesus by revealing us to the truth, revealing to us the truth about who Jesus is and what he came to do. He reveals to us and enables us to understand the gospel. The Holy Spirit does that. Simeon could take no credit for his part of being there at the right time. God the Holy Spirit. He says God the Holy He doesn't say Simeon marked out on his calendar, looked at the moons, and figured it out. No. God the Holy Spirit led Simeon to be there. God gets the glory in this, not Simeon. And we too cannot take credit for being just smart enough to understand the gospel. Well, you know, I just figured it out. I'm just smarter than the next guy. Have you ever heard anybody say that? They come to Christ. The reason that I came to Christ and they didn't is because I'm smarter. They better not have said that. That had nothing to do with you're smarter. I mean, in Corinthians, it says that God used the foolish things of this earth to shame the wise. So first you've got to be foolish. All right? So it's, nothing, it's not about what we figured out. God, the Holy Spirit, awoken us. And I love this. We just finished Philippians back in the fall, and we looked in Acts. And there when Paul first comes to, the, to, to Philippi, and really beginning at plants a church, he, he shares the gospel with a lady named Lydia. And it says, then the Lord opened her heart. It didn't say Lydia figured it out. It said the Lord opened her heart to receive the things that Paul had said about the gospel. And she trusts in Christ. So God alone gets the credit because it's always a spirit-led reception of Jesus. Well, not only is it a spirit-led reception, but it's also a word-fed reception. Look at verse 29. It says, according to your word. Look, it says, now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. This is another reminder that Simeon was trusting that God would fulfill his promise simply because God said he would. Simeon trusted in God's word. Simeon was ready to receive the promise of Christmas because he had fed on God's word. He knew God's word. He had been given God's word. He didn't just listen to God's word. He digested it and he believed it. He embraced it. He embraced God's word. Are we prepared to receive the promise of God due to our constant feeding on the word of God, our embracing of the word of God? First, you've got to read it, right? Then you've got to believe it. More than just certain facts, but believe it for you. Believe that God has made these promises to you, of course, in context, right? Who those promises are made to. But all the promises are made to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're for us. We've got to embrace those as they are for us. And it's imperative that we feed on the Word of God. We can't embrace the Word of God if we're not feeding on the Word of God. If it's not a daily part. I mean, who, who in here just wakes up every morning and says, I'm not going to eat today? I think I'll just skip all my meals. Now you may fast, and that's okay, okay, okay. But most of us don't wake up. I'm going to skip all the meals today. But how often do we do that with the Word of God? A man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If we are truly to live, it's going to be from feeding on the Word of God. Now, in your seat, okay, or seat around you, I think we ran out back there, so make sure everybody gets one of these behind you there, Chatty. All right, I think that, that row got left out, okay? But hold up, show me you have one of these. And they all have different, there's five different ones. 
I didn't design those. You can guess who did design them. And he's not here this morning, so that tells you who that is, all right? So we made these. This is to remind you of the video we had last week. If you weren't here, we'll post a video. I think the video is going to be posted on our website too, but it's Abide Together. And what this is, is Grace Bible Church reading plan for 2015. Now, we've encouraged all of you, ever since I've been here, we've given you 12 different options or whatever it is to read through the Bible or do some kind of be daily in the Word of God. So this year, we thought it'd be fun that we'd all do it together. And we've made it such that it's not going to be overwhelming. I mean, I promise you, if you've not read through the whole Bible and you start off in Genesis, like I said last week, Leviticus is going to bog you down, you're going to get behind, you're going to quit. So we're not going to do that. We're going to read the first six months together. We're going to read through the New Testament together. That's not a whole lot. We're talking about maybe 10 minutes a day at the most, some even less than that. And then after that, Jared and I are picking out for the next half of the year. All right, we're going to start in Genesis and go through Malachi and give a, a flavor of the, the, the narrative of the story of the Old Testament that points to the Messiah. So it'll be key passage, and we'll read one chapter basically a day. All right, we're going to do this together, abide together. That's why it's abide together. Abide in the word of God. Let's, let, it says in Colossians to let the word of God richly dwell within you. Abide within you. And we want to do this together. So when I see Brandon Palmer, I say, hey, Brandon, I was reading John 6 today. He goes, hey, I was reading John 6 today too. Well, what did you learn there? What, what really impacted you? And, and today I got to share this with my coworker. Think about that, how encouraging that is. And our, daily, and our, and our Sunday morning readings will be from this, whatever the plan is. If we're on, if it's January the 21st, whatever January 21st says, if it's Matthew chapter 17, that, you don't even have to read it that day. We'll read it for you, all right? We want to do this together. So we're abiding in word. We're like Simeon. We're feeding on the word of God. So our reception of God and his promises that are coming true in our life will be prepared. We won't miss what God's doing because we're in his word. And he's speaking to us, and he's nourishing us in his word. So take that, stick in your Bible, just as a reminder. We're going to be doing this together. Abide together in the word of God. Well, not only was a spirit-led and a word-fed reception of God's promise to Simeon, but it was also a worshipful reception. Look at, uh, again, at verse 27, the first part of verse 28. And he came in the spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and bless God. Here we see God kept his promise. Here they come. I mean, I just can't. I mean, it just blows me away to think about here's Simeon. And they come and he sees them coming. And somehow he knows it's them. And he promised Simeon this would happen before he died. And God kept his promise. And he comes and, 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 and they, they give over baby Jesus to Simeon. And look at those phrase, the phrase that says, then he took him into his arms. The word arms here is only, it's the only place in the whole New Testament that this word for arm or arms is used. And you know what part of the arm it's talking about? The angle of the arm. How do you hold a baby? Like this. You cradle with compassion and care and love your child. You've got to hold the head, sorry. All right? So you're holding your cradle because it's, it's, it's a sign of love and, and care for that. And Simeon got to hold the promise of God in his arms. And it's meant to, 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 to be a term of endearment, to just this love and intimacy that God had come through personally in the life of Simeon. Not only did God keep his promise, but he did it in such a gracious way, Simeon couldn't miss it, and he'd never, ever forget it. Ever. Well, how did Simeon respond to this, this 
fulfillment of the promise of God in his life. Look at verses 28 through 32 again. Then he took him into his arms, and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Notice the phrase there at the end of verse 28. He blessed God. He worshipped God. It was a worshipful reception of the promise of God. He worshipped Lord, I bless you. He didn't say, again, God, aren't you glad I showed up at the right time? Lord, I bless you for fulfilling your promise. I bless you for the consolation of Israel that I'm holding in my arms. Also notice, in, in, it says in verse 20 that he was the Savior of verse 30. It says, as indicated by the word, your salvation. And in verse 32, it says, it's not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Simeon did what all the people of God, whether Jew or Gentile, who have received God's promise of Jesus by faith, he did what all are supposed to do. He worshiped the Lord. He worshiped him. He gave him glory. Just like Simeon, we too are recipients of the promise of God. In fact, we're recipients of many promises of God, aren't we? But the promise we're looking at this morning is the promise that he would send his son, Jesus. A baby who grew up to be a man to die, who died and rose again to forgive us of our sins and overcome sin. Not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin every day in our life. And ultimately the very presence of sin from our life. That's what Jesus came to do to all who believe. So just like Simeon, God the Holy Spirit opened our heart through his word, didn't he? And he, and he led us so we could hear the gospel at just the right time. I don't understand how all that works. But he does it. And all of those who have received the promise of Jesus, we've experienced that. And we have the same privilege to worship God because of him fulfilling his promise in our life. To worship the newborn king. What's our response this morning to the newborn king? Where we worship him with our lives? Well, thirdly, we want to look here at the, in, in this passage, the exposition of the promise of Christmas. Uh, here at Grace Bible Church, we're, we're, we're committed to expository preaching, right? The exposition of the Word of God. What in the world does that mean? It, it, it means to expose or reveal what the Word of God means. All right? You look at it, you explain it in context, you're expo exposing the meaning. That's the way you're supposed to handle the Scripture. It's to look at it, read it, and, and then expose, reveal. What does this thing mean? Because God wants us to understand it, right? And, 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 and I've said this before, and I, I, I love what Mark Twain says. It's not the parts of the Scripture that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Because the majority of it we do understand. And as believers in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ, those who, for the forgiveness of our sins, those who have been born again, we have the ability to look and read the Scripture and understand it. What What a gift. And we want to, and, and so what happens here is that in, in this process of the promise of Christmas coming to Simeon, the promise of Christmas was meant to expose something, to reveal something. And God, through, through Simeon, through Luke, shows us what it was supposed to expose. Look here with me. It shows show that the promise of Christmas exposes. Look there in verse 25. Um, it's a great summary uh, of, of, of verse 35. I'm sorry, verse 35. Uh, is a great summary to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed the promise of Christmas Jesus Christ coming to the world was meant to reveal or expose what the people of Israel thought about Jesus 
The reactions are representative and reactions of people from all the nations, though. There'll be, there's two different reactions that we see here in this um, uh, passage of Scripture. First, we see the exposition of those who will fall. Look, look at the words of Simeon, what he says to, to Mary in verse 34. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall. Okay, then we skip on, of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. The fact of Jesus being the Christ to save the world will cause many people to fall or stumble. In other words, they will reject the very Messiah that was promised to them and reject the very hope, the very consolation, the comfort that was coming to them from God. Many people from the nation of Israel did that and do that even today. They reject it. And it reminds me of what it says in John three nineteen: They love darkness rather than light. That's how some people in the nation of Israel responded to the Messiah. And notice the, the phrase there in, in verse 34. It says, for a sign to be opposed. Some translations say, for a sign to be spoken against. It's a present passive participle. What's that mean? It's an ongoing opposition. Their life is, is <clears throat> consumed by the opposing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it may not come out outwardly, but the very fact that they don't receive him as the Messiah says that they're opposing him as the Messiah. So there's an opposition. There's a speaking against Jesus, the one who was the pro- fulfillment of the promise to them. And it's obvious today that, 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 that this is continuing to go on, isn't it? The most unpopular thing to be today is an evangelical Christian who actually believes the Bible and believes we must be born again by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the most unpopular thing to be in our world today. And for a long time, it's been this way. Uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who was one of the first existentialist philosophers, said that Jesus was the curse of the race because he spared the weak. Amen. Ted Turner said that Jesus was a crutch for weak people. a great prophecy about Ted Turner. It's the only thing he's ever said that was true. Jesus is a crutch for weak people. Only weak people come to Christ. Mention the name of Jesus and it will expose the hearts of people. And that's what happened. That was the promise here. And not only is it exposed to those who will fall, but the second thing we see that exposes, there's an exposition of those who will rise. Notice again um, in, in verse 34. It says, Behold, this child is appointed for the rise of many in Israel. Some will fall, but some will rise. The fact that Jesus being the Christ to save the world would cause many people to rise or, or resurrect. This means that they will accept the Messiah as the one that will make them right with God. And, and Jesus uh, himself talked about this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life, speaking to Mary, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. There's a resurrection to new life. Paul speaks about it in Ephesians 2, verse 6, and raised up, up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Some will fall, but you know what? Some will rise. Some will be ri- risen up with Christ and be seated with him in heavenly places. They'll be given new life in Christ. Christ. This is what happens to those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, their sins. I don't, I don't want to take, trace too much of a, to go off on too much of a tangent there, but just in conversations I've had even recently, um, when we use the word trust in Jesus, and I think trust is a good word, but here's another thing I want to encourage all of us to be clear what we're saying. Trust in Jesus for what? To make it safely to Houston? That's okay. But trust in Jesus to, to help us clearly study so we can do well on a test. But it's okay. 
trust in Jesus for difficulties in our life, trust in Jesus for whatever else. Those are all okay. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. You can trust him to get to Houston. You can trust him to help with all your sickness. You can trust him in all these other things and still go to hell. The first thing when we say trust in Jesus, make sure we're clear. Trust in Jesus is the Messiah who came to forgive us of our sins. Because our issue is not we can't make it to Houston safely. Our issue is we're separated from a holy God because of our sin. That's the issue. We've got to be clear on that. And those who trust in him will be risen with him, given new life forever. Those who trust in him for the forgiveness and trusting him as their Savior. Well, clearly... The coming of Jesus, the promise of Christmas, was meant to expose what's in the heart of man, to reveal the truth what's inside. One commentator reminds us, Judas despairs, Peter repents. One robber blasphemes, the other confesses. Some believe, some don't. And look what else it says. Not that this promise of Christmas, this exposition of the promise of Christmas didn't come without a cross. Come without a cost. And look at the verse 35. This evidence here. Verse 35 says, And a sword will pierce even your own soul. This speaks of the pain that Mary would experience as she saw her precious son die on that cross. For sin he didn't commit. She would, in a sense, you may have understood it completely this time, but she, in a sense witnessed what we see in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. She watched this happen. And it pierced her soul. She saw her son die for what she had done, for all people in the history of the world, for you and I here today. He died for those who would believe because of our sin. What does the promise of Christmas as seen in Christ expose or reveal about your heart, about my heart, have, have you been exposed as one who will fall due to your rejection of Jesus as a savior, a savior from your sin? Or have you been exposed as one who will rise and who have been given new life because you've trusted in what Christ has done on your behalf to make you right with God and forgive your sin? There's only two options. You either reject him or you receive him. There's no in-between. You can't plead the fifth. Well, how are we going to respond this morning to this passage, to these, these great truths that we learn from seeing the way that Simeon responded, to see, the, see the way that Simeon saw the G- Jesus come and trust in what God had done for him in Christ and make him right with him. H- how are we going to respond to that? Ultimately, the promise of Christmas will only be realized by those who put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. If you're here this morning, you've never realized that you're a sinner and your sin separates from you from God. And it says that the wrath of God, the just wrath, the just punishment for your sin, rests on you. It's coming to you. If you've never understood that and never said to, to God, I don't want that. And I understand you sent Jesus to turn your wrath, your just wrath, because I'm guilty, away from me and on to your son. And I'm going to trust that he died for my sin to make me right with you. If you've never done that, if you've never turned from trusting yourself for the forgiveness of your sin to be made right with God and turned and trusted in what Jesus did so you can be made right with God, I pray you do that this morning. The greatest gift that you can receive this Christmas is that. 
It lasts forever. All these gifts we're going to give each other on Thursday, it's okay. They're all going to they're all going to rust. They're going to be going to the ground. Not that. I mean, you know how much I spent on that TV? That one too. It'll be out of date next Christmas. All right? All those things. That's not the greatest gifts you can receive. You can receive this gift. The promise of Christmas. You can receive Jesus Christ as Savior of those who believe. And maybe you're here this morning and you have done that. You've received the promise of Christmas by faith. By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to encourage you as well. I want you to follow the example of Simeon. First of all, by daily expecting God to come through on his promises. Look for him. Look for him to come through on the promises he's made to us. Expect it to happen. Look for it. Secondly, by feeding on his word daily as empowered by the Holy Spirit and worship him for his great grace which we receive from his word. Let me me say this. I didn't didn't say this earlier, but let me say this. Word-fed and spirit-led go together. We can't be led by the Holy Spirit unless we're fed by the Word of God. I can show you multiple passages so how they're synonyms. That the filling of the Holy Spirit is the same as abiding in the Word of God. That's how that happens. That's how He does it. They go hand in hand. So we've got to be in the Word. And then, 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 then lastly, by sharing the promise of Christmas, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with those who have never received the greatest gift of Jesus Christ. And I said this last week. What a great time to do that. People are talking about Jesus. Why don't we join the conversation and bring the truth? They too could be made right with God. Through a Savior who is born to us, Christ the Lord. What great news. I ask you this question more specifically. Who will you share the promise of Christmas with this week? Who will it be? Maybe somebody came to your mind. If that person came to your mind, that, go share it with that person. So their, their Christmases will be changed forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we're here to celebrate the promise of Christmas. We're here to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior from sin to those who would believe, to those who would receive the gift. So, Lord, I pray this morning that there's people in this room here today that have never, ever embraced Christ as their Savior from sin, that they would do that today. And for those of us who have, Lord, I pray that we'd be about giving that Christmas gift out, the news that Jesus Christ has come. to reconcile mankind to God. But help us now as we sing, but sing from our hearts as we worship you just like Simeon did. We bless you with our mouth.